we can't lose sight of the fact that you know going abroad for a period of time, particularly at um, very formative years, can have a tremendous impact um, on on our students. And we need to continue to make sure that we're looking to ensure all students have equitable access uh, to to these experiences. Hey, Jess, how's it going? Hi, Garish. It's going well. I've had a really busy week, actually, and I'm feeling a little bit kind of tired and a little bit blue, midweek blues, I guess it is. Midweek blues. You know what you need is an AI assistant to do most of your work. I need a robot. Yeah, that's what I need. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I saw something Japan apparently yesterday or the day before had a human-like robot doing some stuff and I barely caught it on Twitter. I should go look at it. This woman looked like she was a real woman and apparently was a robot. It's crazy. Housework and boil potatoes. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Most definitely. But, you know, talking about, I've been, I'm still thinking about the chat last week with Tanya and AI and chat GPT, so much going on. I'm really excited to learn more about that. Did you do any more research on that? I didn't, but I caught a couple of headlines. And I don't know if it was one of those instances where now that I've met Tanya and listened to her talk about AI, chat GPT, my brain is more attuned to seeing things about that subject. But I saw something along the lines of Google has launched its own rival to chat Mm -hmm. GPT. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Google launched a service called Bard to rival ChatGPT, which Microsoft has invested $10 billion into. But from what I read, I think it blew up in their faces because it was kind of erroneous in what it was delivering. So they may have gone to market too soon. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Well, then that's where someone like Tanya and her work with Shorestart and preparing tomorrow's generation of AI experts. That work is needed because those kids that she's working with are really going to help change the face of it. And so there won't be any blowing up and erroneous information. (laughs) Or, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed her talking about was the whole diversity aspect of it, to have enough representation from a diverse uh, population. And so I guess in the same vein, today's guest is going to be talking a lot about diversity, right? So who do we have Mm -hmm. today? We have Andrew Gordon, who was the founder of Diversity Abroad and is also the founder now of Includify, which we'll hear a little bit more about. And Andrew has done some amazing work in DEI and B, which is something I Mm -hmm. learned when we spoke to him, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and his work with that in study abroad and just international education in general. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to chat with him. Andrew's a good bloke. I've known him for years and I've always enjoyed watching him do the diversity work. So yeah, let's uh, get Andrew. Welcome back to Destiny Vendors. Today, we are thrilled to present to you Andrew J. Gordon, who is the founder of Diversity Abroad and the CEO and founder of Includify. Our guest today has had a long history in education abroad, and we're really thrilled that you're able to join us and tell us your story. So, Andrew, take it away. 
Yeah. Well, um, first, thanks for having me having me on. It's, it's fun to kind of go back and, and think of the history of, of diversity abroad and, and how I got to, to this point and the, the impact the field of international education has had on my on my career. So I, I, I was going to start by saying I never thought I would be working in international education. Many who are much more intentional about their career um, and set out on a path to, to work in, in the field. Um, for me, I was fortunate it kind of landed in my in my lab. So I, I was working doing accounting consulting work and diversity abroad was my, I would say my side hustle, a side project, but really side hustle. Uh, and so I was doing it for several years, decided to, to leap in and start doing it full time. But maybe just to back up a little bit further, um, the, the whole idea of diversity abroad came from me yeah, as a study abroad student. So I studied abroad in, in Mexico and Spain. I studied abroad in southern Spain and then interned in, in Madrid. I, I remember particularly my study abroad program in Spain. I was one of a handful of uh, black kids that was on my program. I'd had any cha- challenges. I had a great had a great experience. But fast forward a couple of years, and I was thinking about how much that experience had impacted uh, me, the way I viewed the world, the way I viewed myself. And I was like, that's interesting. Like, had all this benefit that, that came from it, but students like me, I didn't see a lot of students like me doing it. And so this is around 2005, 2006. And I started doing research on study abroad, diversity and study abroad. And I found individual things from university websites. Some organizations had like a page on diversity, but there was no centralized kind of hub for at least students to get information. And so I, I didn't, I mean, you know, looking back, I didn't actually know much about higher education or international education. So I, I oversimplified it. I was like, just start a website. And that's, that's literally the, the genesis of uh, Diversity Abroad. It was our student website, diversityabroad.com. Started a website and ran with that for, for a few years. And what was funny is that we would have um, professionals, particularly like study abroad advisors, that would come and, and reach out to us and say, hey, do you have resources on training or resources on this? And we're like, you know, you know we built this website for students. It's been built for professionals. And so it was me and a colleague, good friend of mine, Monty McGee, who was the other person working with uh, work, working with me at the time. And it was it was funny when you have two people in an the organization; these decisions are easy. So on Monday, we went from, "Hey, we want to start. We, we'll just have a website for professionals." So by the end of the week, we're like, "We're going to start a consortium." Because we had looked; there was like, you know, there's NASA, IE, uh, AIEA, different organizations within the field, all, all important organizations, all playing an important role. But there wasn't an organization that was specifically focused on advancing diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging with international and international education. And we could see in other industries that those kind of entities existed. So we say, hey, listen, let's let's develop that entity for for uh, international education. So we we started it, launched. I think when we launched, we might have had like ten or fifteen members, and that was me calling in favors for people saying, hey, we don't want to launch this with no members. Uh, and so we, we launched and from then it's just been, it's just grown incredibly. Um, several years after launching, we uh, decided to host like the first conference that was solely focused on DEI, global education, global inclusion conference. Now, I mean, we look, it's like, you know, 300 plus members. Uh, we don't just focus on study abroad anymore. So we focus on study abroad, um, international students, uh, global learning at home, and then also looking at what diversity, equity, inclusion means for us as a profession, uh, who we bring in, how we support each other, and so on and so forth. So I almost say, if you think of like a NAFSA, it's like a mini NAFSA, but it's just focused on DEIB within international education. So it's been, you know, it's hard to kind of sum it up in, you know, three, four minutes, like the last, I like, gosh, 17 years, which is hard to say, uh, but it's been about uh, 17 years and it's been awesome to, uh, I would say, work in this field just because of, I think, the, the amount of support that we've gotten over the years. 
um, not just support, like, hey, we're going to sponsor this or any part of this, but just people who have seen me, who've seen the organization grow and have been, you know, cheerleaders sometimes on the side, but also like engage um, directly and um, being part of the the growth of, of VA. So, you know, that's that's great, right? I've seen you over the years. I've seen all the work that you're doing. I'm excited to hear about Includify and all of that. But I want to go way back. Yeah. Obviously, like you said, you're an accidental international educator, just like I think yeah. 95% of everybody in our field. <laughs> uh, take us back to like your high school and college. Like, you know, what were you thinking when you were 16, 17 about what you're going to be uh, doing in life, et cetera. But then I also am curious, as a fellow entrepreneur, I'm curious at what point or what were the experiences when you're a teenager, when you're in college that gave you the skills or gave you the, I guess, the the confidence to go be an entrepreneur? I'm, I'm always curious yeah. about how people decide to become entrepreneurs. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Like, I don't, like, I look at my family background. I, like, I don't come from a, an uncle that, you know, owned a, owned a bar. That was kind of the, the entrepreneurism that you saw in, 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 my, in my family as, as a whole. Um, so I wouldn't say, I, I will say, I will say there's a couple things that specifically led to the founding of VA and that started in high school. So one of the things in high school, I was part of this program called AVID. AVID is an acronym for Access Via Individual Determination. And the whole idea behind it was helping student populations that traditionally didn't go to college with study, uh, extra, extra help with studying, tutoring, otherwise, um, to increase college access. So I did that. And that was like one of my first introductions to programming that's targeted certain populations so that they have access to opportunities and they may be fishing at them. So you have that. But then I, I really do connect the entrepreneur aspect to uh, two things. One, playing with Legos as a little kid, I think it just breathes creativity. <laughs> like seriously, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm so huge fan of Legos. Um, and then two, my my study abroad experience, particularly in, in Sevilla and uh, in Madrid. Uh, so in Sevilla, when I was a student there, you know, when, when, when you're when you're abroad and you're just every everything is new, and particularly at that age, nineteen twenty, and so you're seeing all these things that are new, different ways of thinking, different ways of doing things. And I think it's in the part if if you allow it can just spur creativity in you in, in, in so many different ways. So I, uh, I I always remember, I go back to this example, it's, like, it's so true, but there's this bar we went to called Wall Street. And the whole concept was that at certain points of the night when there was more demand, the drinks were higher. And then like, you know, with lower demand, the, the drinks were lower. And I remember with some of the students who I, I studied, my buddies who I studied abroad with, like, oh my gosh, when you get back to the U.S., like we could totally replicate this, you know, like we were just like the creativity, like juices started to to, to come from from that. Um, and actually, okay, so that put a pin in that story. I'm not being honest. There was something in high school. My uh, one of my actually my good buddies, Dan Bishop, him and myself, and there was one other person I can't remember. We it was in high school, right, or it was right after high school, and so we had come up with this uh, idea of building a website called College Dough, like you know, like maybe some dough, some money collegedo.com and the whole whole idea was like connecting students to financial like like financial resources doing college so that was it didn't go anywhere but that was probably one of the first things that, like let's like start a website fast forward in spain the bar idea that didn't go anywhere and then um, when i moved back to spain um to madrid this is right after i graduated i was doing an internship and i i went to this pro internship program i was supposed to have all of my housing set like that all kind of fell through i couch surfed for a few weeks before i actually got housing and so I started thinking of a business of basically connecting students to student housing when when they go when they go abroad. And this is like 2003, 2004, which is crazy because now there are businesses like that. I'm like, yo, I had that idea. <laughs> what you're going to say is not just having an idea, it's a follow-through. 
So I was like kind of like, let's call it like 2003, 2004. Uh, so I didn't go anywhere. But the next business that, you know, 2000, late 2004 or five, when I started thinking diversity abroad, like the next business did go somewhere. So um, so there were like these different touch points. But you know, you think of the examples I gave you, like two of the main ones happened when I was studying or interning abroad. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge cheerleader to the connection between studying abroad, um, putting yourself out there. Because I think one of the things the question you asked about what gives you the confidence in doing that, uh, and this is something I say to students often when I'm giving talks to students is, you know, I think when you put yourself out there to study abroad, you allow yourself to be uncomfortable. You see how you can be in this very ambiguous environment, but still succeed. You start to build that confidence in yourself of like, listen, I can be in a lot of things. The, the path may not be clear, but I have the confidence that I'm going to be all right. And I think it takes a little bit of that. And I think that's been part of what's filled diversity abroad. And then even, you know, 16 years later, when I started on Includify, uh, starting the next venture with Includify. That's great. I mean, I think I take three things from that, right? Ideas can be crazy, uh, but, you know, these are ideas. I mean, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So you're looking at this, yeah. you're looking at that housing. Oh, that's a business idea. Uh, but what you said at the end, the follow through is the most important. Uh, everybody's yeah. got ideas. I mean, a lot of people see issues out there like, oh, somebody should do something about that. Uh, a few people yeah. say, I'm going to go do something about that. But then I have to have the confidence and say, it's okay not to know where this is going to go. Yeah. I got to follow through, right? And there's plenty yeah. of ideas like that. that yeah. I have ideas all yeah. the time, all the time. <laughs> and I'm, And then, like, as you said, 10 years later, I'll see somebody has done exactly what I had an idea about. And I'll be like, I, I thought of that already. But I don't have the confidence, the wherewithal, the resources to do the follow through. So it's just really impressive that you have. You know, and I'll say, I mean, I, I think um, even, I think particularly for young, younger people, like starting out, they're like, hey, I think a lot of times like, oh my gosh, I don't have the, I need to go get VC funding to, to back us up. It's like I bootstrapped diversitybroad.com, the first version of the website. Like, I mean, obviously, like things have changed, but I would say definitely under 7,500 bucks, maybe to get the site launched and everything. Was it was it the highest quality? Like, no, but it was something that was in the market. It's like I saw a need in the market and was able to come to the market. Um, I think come with some passion and and I think it was really fortunate um, from from that 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 aspect. And so I think there is, you know, listen, I think for certain ventures, you actually do need more resources, but certain times like maybe maybe you don't need much, but you have a really good idea and that you you can meet a need. Um so I think that being one thing. But the other thing, and this is I I try to emphasize this even to myself now, reminding myself, like it's okay to fail. It's like two things. It's either the tech world, we glorify failing like to to like the umpteen. And it's like, all right, listen, if you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you fail, like, great, you have something to fall back on. Everyone doesn't have that. So I think we had to be like honest about that. But then on the other side of it is sometimes I'm so afraid of failure that we, we don't do anything. So I think there's like the, kind of a happy medium where, you know, smart failure is okay. Like, you know, it's like, hey, I had an idea. I really went for it. I didn't, maybe I didn't bet my entire life savings whatever on it. But I went for it and it didn't work out great. I learned probably learned probably learned so much from that experience that that'll position you for success and whatever whatever's to come next. I think too, it's it's also not just having the ideas and then and, and following through, but also sticking with it for you said mm -hmm. was it 17 years of diversity abroad yeah. or not so you know. Yeah. You you stuck with it through thick and through thin, I'm assuming, you know, after setting up that website and you evolved it and grew it and it became what it is today. And now you're on your next yeah. venture 
Includify, which yeah. you're going to tell us about in a little bit, because I'm very curious to hear about it. So I think that's that too. That's yeah. that staying power. Absolutely. Particularly from the standpoint of being an entrepreneur is like, you got to ask yourself, like, why are you doing it? So if you're doing it, it's like, hey, I want to build this venture and I just want to sell it and make ogles of money. Like, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm, I would never judge anybody. Like no one could judge anyone for that. But if that's what you're doing, then that's going to be a very different path than I, I'm building something because I, I really want to address this issue and I want to stick with it. And when we decide to stick with something, you know, it's the ups and downs. Like you think of, you know, we've gone through a financial crisis. There's like some years are awesome. Other years are really tough. It, that staying power. And I think particularly the work we do in international education, I think it's like, I think there is a passion behind so many of us in this space of what we do, the impact we have on, on students uh, locally, students around the world. Um, on our communities, on, on the institutions we serve. So I think there's definitely like that, that staying power as well, like really believing in what you're doing. And that's, that's why I say that if, you, if you're able to as well be an entrepreneur in something that you really believe in, something you're really passionate about, I think success comes as well. Cause it's not so much like, I, mean, I think, you know, fi- financial goals for any venture is important. Like, you know, and then one, one someone said to me once, and I has always stuck with me, uh, no money, no mission. That's <laughs> like, so you got to bring money in and, and, and so on and so forth. But I, I think that what I what I like about this space, particularly, and you know, I think of you all, the entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurs I know in this space, um, there's a lot of passion for uh, not just business, but for what we what we do. Absolutely. So let's talk about that a little bit. I'm curious to hear about in, Includify. Tell us what that is all about. Uh, but then okay. maybe even in a broader context, I have a couple of questions for you, right? Obviously, you're right. We're all passion, mission-driven in, in the IE world. And we want to do something because we're changing lives. So maybe can you talk a little bit about where you've seen Diversity Abroad and now Includify really bending destinies, right? That's the whole podcast about. And then yeah. uh, the other piece of it I'm really curious about is that I know the participation of minority students in study abroad is very anemic. What are you doing? What's Includify going to do? Like, what's going on in that? So tell us all about that. Yeah. So, um, so, so Includify is a little bit of a, a little bit of a different play than uh, than, than diversity abroad. So it's a uh, called a student first learning and technology company. Um, and so Includify is two things. It's a technology system that aggregates campus uh, services, resources, programs into a single place. Um, and then is also a library of uh, culturally responsive learning guides or advising guides that help students or help guide students throughout different aspects of the higher education experience. So some of the guides focus on study student study abroad. Others focus on supporting international students and, and particularly learning about the USDEI. Um, there's some for career services, some for campus engagement. The whole idea is there are not enough advisors to have all these micro conversations with students when where they need. And for us, it was like, I think, I think particularly during at the beginning of COVID, it was just uh, something that was very obvious. Um, and that was that there are lots of resources on campus, lots of programs, lots of support to help students from a variety of different backgrounds. Um, navigate that experience. Um, but, you know, when we think about the structure of higher education, it's a little ridiculous. And, and you know, it's not our fault. None of us created this structure. None of us working in the structure have created the structure, but the structure really doesn't serve students uh, and it doesn't serve particularly our most um, uh, marginalized students. Um, and so instead of students having to jump from website to website to website to try to figure out what resources are available for them, we build a single one-stop shop where all of those resources come into uh, into, into a single place. So if you think of like a, like a Google, I go to a Google to search something, it's going to take me, like Google itself doesn't necessarily 
own all those resources. It's just going to direct you to the right place. And so similarly with Clutify, you go in and you can find what you're looking for. It's going to direct you to this place or, or that, that place. Our, our tagline is belonging, power, success. And so our whole idea is that the more students feel valued, welcome, connected to campus, um, the more they'll be engaged, the more engaged they are. I mean, that's, that's what, what we're done with within Clutify. That question of like, what impact do we hope to have? Essentially, we look to say, how do we make campus more, more accessible? Uh, so that students, regardless of what their background is, uh, can come to campus, know what's available for them, engage in the kind of opportunities that, you know, it's not just, hey, I went there and I graduated, but I had the kind of experience that's going to position me to thrive. Um, with uh, diversity abroad, I think when we get diversity abroad, I really, you know, we kind of be in the vanguard of advancing DEI work within, uh, within global education. Um, so I think back to when we started, there, there just there wasn't a lot. I mean, it's not I don't say it as like a diss to, to any any individual organizations or anything like that. There just wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot of focus on on diverse equity inclusion. Um, and so we're proud. Like we're proud of the fact that when we started doing DEI work, it wasn't uh, necessarily in response to something, but it was us looking and saying this work is important. This work needs to get done, and we're going to solely focus on this. Um, and that's been DA's uh, approach for the last seventeen years. And I. I uh, feel very confident that as an organization, we've um, played uh, a pivotal role in uh, raising uh, awareness of the importance of DEI, uh, giving folks access to, to resources, uh, learning opportunities, so that their individual organizations and institutions, they can advance this work. Um, and having a place for students, uh, particularly early on when there wasn't a lot, for students to say, hey, listen, students like you deserve ac access to these kind of opportunities. These opportunities are for you. We're going to show you how to get through and go. So I, I look at like what I think DA has done. Very, very proud of it. Uh, the, the the teams who we've had, the folks who've been on the team throughout the year, 17 years, and a number of folks who've come to work with DA. Yeah, I'm proud of I'm proud of the teams we have that have all been part of uh, diversity abroad. Uh, and I think it'll continue. I think you know, which is exciting to see. Um, a lot more uh, individuals, organizations, entities thinking about what DEI means in in, in global education. Um, so now it's just time for DA to, I say, kind of maybe move the goalposts a little bit more, uh, so that we don't become complacent and maybe some of the successes that we've had. Um, but also, how are we continuing to do this work? Because like it's it's a journey. It's it's, it's, a, it's not a great check the box. I got the DEIB thing done. It's a journey that has to continue on. Um, and the point that you brought out about, um, you know, just take study abroad for one aspect of, of this work, study abroad participation. So, you know, study abroad participation is is growing uh, with uh, students from uh, historically underrepresented backgrounds, uh, particularly our, our, our students of color. Um, but it's still pretty anemic when you when you look at. It. So, you know, if, if, if in one breath we say we, we tout the benefits of study abroad as being a high impact practice that can impact students. Um, academic and or personal um, you know, career readiness proudly tout that we can't do that in the same you know at the same time be okay with the fact that um, we're still having low participation with students our students our students of color so there's still a lot of work to do with that um, there's some exciting things that are coming down the pipeline uh, I think particularly as we look at expanding the idea of what global education means um, it's study abroad there there are digital opportunities as well and uh, just a variety of ways of what's happening within the classroom. So I mean, global learning, if you will, is it's a, it's a much broader, uh, much broader field uh, for us to look at. But that said, I, I, you know, I go back to you asked asked about my experiences and how uh, me becoming an entrepreneur, and I was able to go back to two clear experiences that were place-based study abroad or intern abroad experiences. 
So even as we, I say to say, even as we expand uh, the definition of what we do in, in, in international education, if it was a more digital opportunities and otherwise, um, we can't lose sight of the fact that, you know, going abroad for a period of time, particularly at um, very formative years, can have a tremendous impact um, on, on our students. And we need to continue to make sure that we're looking to ensure all students have equitable access uh, to, to these experiences. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking um, you're a U.S.-focused organization. I know you're not currently located in the United States, but when you started Diversity Abroad, you were. Um, and you're talking about students and helping them get access to study abroad. Do you know of other organizations similar to Diversity Abroad that are operating in maybe the other major English-speaking destinations or countries that are sending students abroad, so the UK, Canada, Australia, or even beyond that? Are there similar things to diversity abroad happening in those other places that you know of, or is it still really a U.S.-focused market that's focused on things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging? It's an excellent question. I, I would say I remember early, kind of early years of, of BA, and then I'd be at NASA and other conferences and, and meeting with colleagues um, from, from Europe. And I would talk about what we were doing with diversity abroad. And, and it was interesting because it was a, I, I wouldn't say dismissive, but it was a little bit of a, oh, that's a U.S. issue. But now I think we look and even, uh, you know, I guess we were saying how we were at EAIE this past year. There's so many sessions on DEI. Uh, which is to say, it's it's something that I think globally we're appreciating. This isn't just a U.S. thing. I think there's you know reasons why sometimes you know folks will look at the U.S. And say, look, look, you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, and there's plenty of work to be done within the the U.S. around race and and, and, and other topics. Um, but every country has their thing. Uh, there's marginalized groups in every country. Uh, maybe we're talking about refugees. Maybe we're talking about other populations. So I think the idea of how do we make uh, international education accessible and supportive, accessible of all of our students, regardless of their background, is something that's starting to resonate. Um, and, and for us, like, you know, Diversity Broad, you're exactly right. We, we started out being a U.S.-focused organization. That's changed some over the years. Um, and I think you'll see in the, in, in, you know, in the coming years, without giving too much out, um, this deeper engagement that we have, particularly in, in, in Europe, uh, Africa, uh, Middle East, uh, being able to have spaces for folks who are also interested in these topics uh, through a unique perspective that's not a U.S. perspective. Because I, I think for, for us, very sensitive and, and cognizant that you know, this is not just a this is not just a just a, just a U.S. issue. And that being from the, the outbound still student mobility uh, perspective, the other aspect this is like one of the reasons I, I am really uh, excited about some of the work that DA uh, Diversity Abroad is doing with respect to international students inbound. Is that when we think about inbound students, that's just, you know, everywhere has inbound students. Uh, so how are we thinking of supporting our inbound students? Unfortunately, in, in, in too many markets, uh, inbound students have been viewed through the lens of, com- of a commodity, frankly. Like, uh, you know, this is how much you know, our international students are bringing in. It's, I always say any time in history that we view humans as a commodity, it doesn't turn out well. Uh, so I think with respect to international students, and this is some of the work that Diversity Broad is doing, it's like, how are we really supporting them in an inclusive way? You know, our international students, they're first gen, they're students of color, they're students from low socioeconomic backgrounds, or LGBTQA+, they're students from religious backgrounds. The same, the same stuff we talk about on outbound mobility, our international students embody those same identities. So how are we thinking about supporting them in an 
exclusive way versus saying the Indian students, the Chinese students, the Viennese students, Africans, like, no, they're, they're, these are monolithic, <laughs> you know, groups of students. Uh, how are we really supporting international students in an inclusive way? And when we do that, that benefits not just the student, but it also benefits our campus culture because the students are more engaged on campus and the students who can't go abroad have better relationships, better engagement with international students, which is also part of the global experience. Sorry, I feel like I'm about to get on my soapbox here, so I'll, I'll, I'll simmer down a little <laughs> no, bit. No, you know but, what? I absolutely 100% agree with you. As a matter of fact, like I was saying, I was on the DA uh, panel last yeah. week, and I said exactly some of the same things as we're not monolithic, even when you just look at Indian students, not all Indian students are the same. But one of the things yeah. that I proposed was that institutions, I mean, there's two things, right? On one hand, in terms of study abroad, I think financial uh, wherewithal gets in the way for uh, especially yeah. students of color to be able to, to go abroad. And I think institutions do need a lot more uh, or spend more money and resources to help those students get abroad. But on the other hand, like I was saying on the panel, to what you're saying is that when international students come, uh, there's a there's very little engagement that happens with the domestic students on campus. Mm-hmm. Because those who are engaged, the domestic students, they're organically engaged. But the majority of the students on campus are missing out on this opportunity to engage with yeah. students around the world. So we need to create more uh, environments for that. So anyway, like you said, yeah. your soapbox, my soapbox, we can talk about it for a while. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's been incredible to watch your growth too, Andrew, and, uh, and all the things that you've been doing. So, where do you go from here? You're gonna uh, do more work on Includify. What does that mean for your role at DA? Where does DA go from here? What are some things yeah. that you're gonna be working on this year? Uh, like three or five major things that you need to focus on. Yeah. So, um, I so I love international ed. So I've completely given up my 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 work at DA. You know, my my official title is uh, founder strategic advisor. Um, and so we brought in a uh, a wonderful executive director, uh, Dr. Lily Lopez McGee. She started in January twenty twenty two. So just uh, a little over a little over a year ago to to look at the helm of 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 DA. And as I transition, start doing more more work on on Includify. Um, but what I'll say with um, with respect to, to diversity abroad, uh, the areas that we're we're focusing on is one is uh, ensuring that we, in a more uh, intentional way, talk about the work that we're doing, the, the importance of advancing uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and how that connects to holistic student success. Uh, I would say you know students don't come to university usually specifically for global experiences. The global experiences can have a tremendous impact uh, on the student success. And in a personal, academic, and then in career perspective. So how are we really tying the importance of advancing the EIB to also the importance of making sure um, all of our students are, 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 are successful? Um, and I think with that, you will see professional development perspective, um, us offering uh, opportunities that really uh, engage with our faculty or staff, um, both here in the U.S., outside the U.S., along these topics so that, again, we can make sure all of our students are um, all successful. Another thing I would say that just uh, for, for us, uh, I think there's two more things I'll say. One is uh, re-looking at um, our guidelines for diversity, inclusive good practice within the field. And one of the things we, also, we often hear is that people are passionate about this, passionate about diversity, equity, inclusion, passionate about changing the narrative. And we have this saying internally, uh, passion, process, progress, meaning you can have all the passion in the world, if you don't have a process or is not built into the operation uh, of something, you're not going to see progress. Um, so how do we really structurally do that? And, and we've primarily done that in um, in the past through our uh, global equity inclusion guidelines. 
Um, so I think in the, in the near future, you will see a, a revamped version of the, the global equity inclusion guidelines that looks not just at education abroad, but also um, at how we're supporting international students, uh, what global learning means in the classroom, and, and very importantly, how we're supporting each other, how we're recruiting folks from very diverse backgrounds to come work in our field, how we ensure that the leadership of our field reflects the the rich diversity of the of the, the, the schools that we work at and the, the areas that we work in. And then the third big thing I would just say is that our, our flagship platform for studentsdiversityabroad.com, uh, some really big changes that will be coming to that, uh, both in branding as well as and just the way that we um, are approaching um, connecting students to uh, global opportunities, uh, not just while they're in school, but also uh, the kind of opportunities uh, that they'd be interested in post-graduation. Uh, so those are some of the things on the on the DA side. Uh, I would say with Includify, no, we did soft launch uh, June, July, 2021. Still, it's been the last 18 months or so, uh, bringing some partners on board, getting a lot of good feedback from from folks. And so I think you'll see in the next year, you know, we've gotten to hit our stride and are really starting to deploy deploy the the, the system um, at at institutions. Uh, sometimes it's a you know institution as a whole for the entire institutions. At other institutions, it will be with specific offices. Um, I'm interested in that. So I think you'll see see growth there. Yeah, so I don't know, a lot. I feel like I'm getting a little more gray even if I talk about it, but <laughs> uh, 23 is going to be, 23 is going to be an uh, exciting year. It sounds like uh, it. Are you going to be working solely with U.S. institutions? Or are you going to branch out and, and work with institutions globally or certain markets? I mean, it sounds like what you're offering with Includify could be used by any higher education institution, but it takes a lot of knowledge to be able to function in all of those different types of education systems. Yeah, exactly. So we, I mean, we have uh, two partners outside the U.S. that we're working with right right now. Um, so I, I think the the core technology can work at any institution. Fortunately, most institutions around the world are also crazy structures to them that are, that's even hard for us as professionals and understand. Let alone you know an 18, 20 year old young person to try to navigate. So I think that challenge is a, is a higher a global higher education challenge. Um, and so I would say primarily right now, though, our, our focus is, uh, is, is U.S. And, and, and Europe as far as our focus is U- U.S., but also um, have uh, a couple European institutions uh, mm-hmm. who um, are, are connected to, to Includify as well. Exciting. Well, it's exciting, exciting yeah. work. Yeah. Wish you the best. Hey, so as we wrap up the call, we always do a little quick fire round of questions more personal. Yeah. I'll go first. How paranoid are you as an entrepreneur? Ah, uh, medium. I, 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 so I say, I, I say, I say medium. There are days okay. I wake up and like, what am I doing? <laughs> and the other days I woke up and I'm like, like, we got it. This is great. So I would say uh, I'm, I'm in the middle. Yeah. Jessica's reaction is like, what? I'm like, well, every entrepreneur is paranoid. <laughs> I, but I, you know what? As you said that, I kind of understood what you felt. My husband is self-employed. He's I wouldn't call him yeah. an entrepreneur, but I guess he is because he founded his own company and does it himself. So, and I know from him that he can get quite paranoid. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you, you said you wake up and some days you're feeling really positive and excited and you're like, yes, yeah. this is working. And then some days yeah. you're like, oh my God, I can't see it till next exactly. week. <laughs> yeah. Things are going to go well. So I, I, I get it. Um, my question is going to be easier. You said you've moved to Spain uh-huh. recently. Can you tell us what are some of your favorite things about your new hometown of Barcelona? Yeah, so I would probably say hands down, my favorite thing is that my mornings are a little bit free. 
um, I came from the, the West Coast, Southern California before. So, you know, West Coast, if you wake up and, you know, you get a early-ish start, you know, like 7.30, 8 o'clock, like on the East Coast, they're thinking about lunch already. So like, you just always feel like you're behind. And now I'm six hours ahead of the East Coast. And so it's like my mornings are a little bit less hectic. Time to think, which is, uh, I say, at a premium uh, at this point in my life. So uh, I would say that's one of, the, one of the great things. Barcelona is right by the beach. I never thought of myself as a beach person, uh, but I found out that I that I am a beach person. And I was just back home a couple of weeks ago for, uh, for a work conference. And I went to a restaurant that I love. I ordered a glass of wine. It was like, the cheapest was like, 14 or 15 dollars us and i'm like yo i pay like three or four euros for great wine in, in barcelona so i don't know whenever go back whenever going back to the us i'm gonna have to like really prepare myself for that because i love <laughs> wine and you know when you get three when you get three three glasses for the price of one i don't know it's, uh, it's yeah. a little bit of a challenge <laughs> uh, well yeah, absolutely that was a shocker for me when i was at eaie I ordered a glass yeah. of wine. I saw the menu. It said 16 euros. I thought it was for yeah. a glass. And it was for but the bottle. For a whole bottle. Wow. Well, and I'm like, give me two. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Last question for you. For people in uh, international education doing diversity work, what what is a good book to read? Yeah. So um, one is from Damon Williams, um, Strategic Diversity Leader. And it very much gives the playbook for how do you approach this work through strategy. And it's like, and, I, and I'm very big on that. It's not, it's not that the, the emotion and passion aren't real, but I think we see this in our society often. Unless you try, unless you approach these things from a structural perspective, as much work as you do, someone can just come back in and completely undo it. Um, so from a structural standpoint, I would, I would say that. And then uh, Diversity Inc. is another one. Super. Wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. Well, brother, I tell you, you're doing some amazing work. We wish you the best of luck. Hey, thank you. No, absolutely. And look forward to staying, con- obviously staying connected and, and following your success at, at the same time. Thanks for reaching out and giving me the opportunity. Uh, it's fun. It's fun to even to kind of chat about this stuff because sometimes, you know, it's funny. You can, you're doing your day to day and you still think much about it. I mean, an opportunity like this to kind of chat through and it's, uh, it reinvigorates you in some way. So thank you all for, for reaching out for that. for listening to Destiny Benders. In the next episode, we talk to Sanam Arora, who's the founder and chairperson of the National Indian Students and Alumni Union in the UK. Join us. Join us.